Welcome back to Sports Clutch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromolo, and I have been waiting seven months to say these seven words. NFL football is officially back in action. Tomorrow night, the 2018 season of the National Football League, the greatest reality TV show ever conceived, begins in earnest as the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles host the Atlanta Falcons, and we here at Sports Crunch couldn't have been more excited for 22 weeks of the non-stop, unpredictable drama that is the NFL, and me and my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com, will have you covered every step of the way. It's absolutely wonderful to cover yet another intriguing season of pro football with you, Hal. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. I didn't think this day would come at points during this offseason. I am so excited that we are ready for some football, and this year is going to kick off. It's going to be a great start to the season. I can feel it with this Thursday night game. Yes, and with all those Sunday games, too, that we'll talk about. But before we talk about those games, uh, there's something about this 2018 NFL season that makes it more intriguing, at least to me, than the past seven seasons. What makes the 2018 NFL season potentially more intriguing than the past seven years or so? I think for me, the the biggest thing is I don't ever remember a season where so many teams are so deep at quarterback. It's like they finally have enough good quarterbacks to go around to every team. And some of them, like the Saints, have two good quarterbacks. So this could be a fantastic year. If you love offense and efficiency, you're going to see a lot of good quarterback play in 2018. Oh, I certainly hope so as a fantasy owner. And we will get to our fantasy segment in a moment. But before we do, let's break down the opener tomorrow night between the Falcons and the Eagles. And the Eagles will head into this game, the first game of their Super Bowl championship defense, without Carson Wentz and without Alshon Jeffrey. And with Nick Foles under center and Alshon Jeffrey sideline, what do you think is the best way for the Eagles to attack this freakishly fast and athletic Atlanta Falcons defense? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure on that offensive line to hold up. They're going to have to doubled up that tight ends and and you're looking at Zach Ertz there as your top option trying to get a a good matchup um you know hopefully get um somebody other than the Devon J Campbell who's probably the best coverage uh linebacker for the Falcons but get him into space they've got their second round draft pick uh Dallas or Philly Godair if you want to call him that and and so uh so Nick Foles is going to have to get that extra half second and work that middle of the field. Um, kind of, you know, think back to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. A lot of tight ends, a lot of slot, a lot of running backs. And, you know, just stick that Mike Wallace uh, in your pocket for, you know, later on in the season. Yeah, that's a very good point. And a passer like Nick Foles, he is most comfortable attacking the middle of the field. So he is going to need uh, Zach Ertz, uh, Dallas Goddard, and Nelson Aguilar uh, to really step up tomorrow night. But there's a good chance attacking the middle of the field in the passing game will be very difficult and might not work against this speedy Atlanta Falcons defense. You mentioned Devondre Campbell, but don't forget Deion Jones, man. Deion Jones is becoming one of the best linebackers in the league. I think he's already a top 10 off-ball linebacker in this league, and Devondre Campbell not far behind him at all. And that's pretty remarkable given the fact that Devondre Campbell was a fourth-round pick out of Minnesota in 2016. And also don't forget Keanu Neal bringing the thump 
from the strong safety position. So it's not going to be easy for Foles and the Eagles to attack the middle of the field against the Atlanta Falcons. But I was thinking if they really want to attack the middle of the field in the passing game, the running game has to wake up. And if there is anything that the Falcons aren't good at defensively, it's defending the run. The Falcons defense is more dependent on speed and explosion than strength. And the Eagles offensive line, especially in the run game, I think has a potential advantage there. Yeah, I mean, if there, you're right. If there is a weak spot, you're looking at Grady Jarrett, who wants to be a penetrator and doesn't want to hold up against the run as much. And, you know, they brought in Terrell McClain. Um, you've got the rookie uh, Dedrin Sanat as well in the middle, but there's a lot of unproven middle of that Atlanta Falcons defense. And if these these big bodies in the middle aren't taking up space, then that second level gets to Deion Jones. And as fast and explosive as he is moving across the field, it doesn't do any good when the guard gets his hands on him. Oh, absolutely. Deion Jones isn't the best at shedding blocks one-on-one. And speaking of linebackers, uh, when you look at the Eagles' defensive side of the ball, Nigel Bradham, one of the most underrated players on that defense, will be missing this game. He is serving a one-game suspension. How much do you think the Eagles will be missing Bradham in this game? Well, Bradham is a big loss. Um, You know, you look at some of that depth, and it's not as proven depth. You're looking at guys like Nathan Jerry having to step up. Um, Camus Grugier-Hill was the star of the preseason flying all over the field. Um, but again, there's a unproven, you know, linebacker there that's going to have to step into the, the Philadelphia defense and you don't know what you're going to get. And with that Atlanta Falcons defense, the way they can attack the whole field with that twin running back attack, those linebackers for Philadelphia have to be on point Thursday night. Oh, they most certainly do, and especially against a Falcons offense that got even more dangerous in the offseason with one particular addition, and I'm talking about their first-round draft pick in Calvin Ridley, because to me, the Falcons, as good as their offense was uh, last year, even though they didn't score that as many points as they should have, and as great as it was in 2016, there was still something that wasn't quite there yet, and to me, Calvin Ridley fills in that blank to me. What do you think Calvin Ridley brings to this Falcons offense that was missing last season or even 2016? Well, I think if you want to go back and look at the Falcons last year, you can just look at how that season ended. And in the red zone, everybody knows Julio Jones is going to be that top target. But beyond that, is Mohamed Sanu still able to separate? And he seemed to have a little problem, especially in the short space, separating. Everybody likes Austin Hooper, but he's not really... Again, a tight end that's going to separate. He's more of stretching the intermediate level of the field. So when everything gets inside that red zone and tightens up, they need that receiver to separate. And I think that's what Calvin Ridley can really bring this offense in Atlanta. And instead of falling just short inside the five-yard line as they did against the Eagles last year, they can take that next step forward and punch that ball in with that wide receiver able to separate in that short field. Oh, absolutely. Like as good as Mohamed Sanu has been production-wise for the Falcons for a player of his level, uh, he doesn't replace the presence that Roddy White had opposite Julio Jones. I think Calvin Ridley fills that void that Roddy White left behind. 
Oh, that's a great point, David. Exactly. Having that compliment, you know, Sanu, they got their money's worth out of him in free agency, but as those wide receivers start getting to the uh, approaching 30 years old, we see it all the time. It's that first half step. That's why Des Bryant's out of a job right now. So they have to have that option opposite Julio Jones because too many teams are just rolling too much coverage his way. And as great as he is, you've got to have that other option uh, in that passing game opposite him to keep the defenses honest. What do you think will be the game-deciding matchup between the Falcons and the Eagles? I think a lot of it, I, I really want to see how... Vic Beasley, who had such a great 2016 season, double-digit sacks, and struggled to get to the quarterback last year and see what he can do against Lane Johnson for Philadelphia, who's been such a rock on the right side of the offensive line for so long. And if Vic Beasley can get a little pressure in on Nick Foles, we've seen Foles throw up some interceptions at times under pressure. And when you're in his face with the pressure, that's when he makes mistakes. And it may just be one little mistake that he makes that allows Atlanta to capitalize. Oh, that's a great one. And also, don't forget about Takaris McKinley uh, in his second year out of UCLA, who had a very promising rookie season going against the future Hall of Famer in Jason Peters. That could be another crucial matchup. But a matchup I'm interested in is Calvin Ridley going against Sidney Jones, who is essentially a rookie himself since he barely played it all last year as he was recovering from that Achilles injury. At the Eagles, uh, the buzz out of that building is that they are super excited about Sidney Jones because they think Sidney Jones could add an extra dimension to that secondary. If Sidney Jones didn't rupture his Achilles during his pro day at the University of Washington, he would have been a top 15 pick, dare I say. Heck, the Eagles would, would have probably taken him over Derek Barnett with that 14th overall pick in the 2017 draft. So Sidney Jones going against Calvin Ridley, that could be a very decisive matchup because Calvin Ridley could be the missing piece to the Falcons' offense, said Sidney Jones could be another uh, key weapon for the Eagles' defense. So that could be very decisive. That's a great point, David, because, again, you're you're also looking at, you know, Philadelphia sliding Jalen Mills inside into the slot and replacing Patrick Robinson, who had a historically great season uh, in the slot defense for Philadelphia, which paid huge dividends for him all season long. Yes. What is your prediction for this game? I, I think it's going to be close, but... I'm feeling like the Falcons are going to throw a little rain on the, the Philadelphia parade, and I see the Falcons pulling this one out 27-24. to 24. I have the Falcons winning too, although I think it's going to be a much lower scoring game. Both defenses are going to shine because the Eagles' defense did such a great job against uh, Ryan and the Falcons uh, last year in the wild card game, and the Falcons' defense did such a good job against the Eagles' offense. Heck, uh, the Falcons' defense... Nobody played the Eagles better in the playoffs than the Falcons, so I expect a low-scoring game, but I think uh, the absence of both Carson Wentz and Alshon Jeffrey and Nigel Bradham will prove to be the difference as the Falcons pull out a squeaker 23-20. to And now moving on to the game to watch Sunday afternoon, your New England Patriots playing host to Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. And the last time these two teams met last year, it was an offensive shootout that was decided in the final minutes. Do you see a similar kind of game unfolding on Sunday? Well, I think it's going to be a little bit more low scoring than it was the last time. Houston's a little more reloaded on defense. I think the Patriots defense has made some 
um, steps forward since last season where they couldn't stop Philadelphia in the Super Bowl and had so many problems early on. So it'll be a little bit lower scoring. And heck, the Patriots always need to knock off some rust early in the season. And and don't forget, Deshaun Watson hasn't had a lot of game time either with his comeback from injury. Oh, very, very true. And talking about the studs on that Texans defense as well, J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless, they got rust to knock off as well. But when you talk about this Patriots defense, and I think the improvement of their defense is going to be the key to getting back to the Super Bowl and winning uh, the sixth Lombardi Trophy in franchise history this time around, how much has the Patriots defense improved from last year, and what improvements should we expect to notice on Sunday against that high-powered Texans offense? I think the first spot we're going to notice that is at linebacker. Donta Hightower is one of the few young defensive players that the Patriots have invested a second contract in. He was injured last year, and you can almost look, if you graphed out last season, you know, at the end of the third quarter of game one against Kansas City, Hightower went down. The Patriots' defense fell apart in that fourth quarter. They missed Hightower against the Saints, Texans, and Panthers, who all put up well over 400 yards of total offense and over 300 yards in the air as well without Hightower's pass rush ability and ability to settle into the middle of the field in that zone. Once he came back, the defense returned back to normal, and then he got hurt against the Falcons last year. And although the defense adjusted after that fact, you really noticed the domino effect of not having him in the middle of the defense against the Eagles as they ran and passed with impunity in that Super Bowl. So I think just having him back in the middle of the defense, it takes Kyle Van Noy out of that role, puts him into a role he's more comfortable at and plays more to his strengths. And then adding Adrian Claiborne on the defensive end side, he finally replaces Rob Ninkovich, who had retired before last season, and that was a huge hole in the defense for the Patriots. No consistent pressure from the, the right side and no edge set in the running game as the Patriots had the 32nd-ranked rush defense in yards per rushing attempt. Oh, that's a very good point, and I will say that it was the absence of Dante Hightower that hurt the Patriots a billion times more than Malcolm Butler's Betchik did in Super Bowl 52, and having Dante Hightower, the quarterback of that Patriots defense, is going to be huge for the Patriots all season long. And when you look at the Patriots on offense, you have Julian Edelman, one of Tom Brady's trusted targets over many years. He is out serving a four-game suspension for performance-enhancing drug use. And the only uh, two weapons that come to mind in the passing game, according to at least most people in the fantasy football world, are Rob Gronkowski, obviously, and Chris Hogan, who will be his uh, go-to receiver. But after those two, who will be the most important weapon for Tom Brady to turn to in this game? I think you're going to be looking at the running back position, and it's it's going to be either James White, Rex Burkhead, Sony Michelle's probably not going to play, but Jeremy Hill in that role as well has been a surprise as well as he has caught the ball in training camp and in the preseason. So look for the running backs to shoulder uh, a lot of the burden in that passing game as the Patriots transition away from last year's deep shot uh, passing attack and back to that 2014 spread the field horizontally and look for running backs finding soft spots in the open field. 
Yes, I completely agree. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Brady targets those running backs a little bit more than Chris Hogan because I expect the Texans to be prepared for, for Hogan and willing to double him and Gronk and probably freeing up some of those running backs to do some of the dirty work far underneath. And when you look at the Texans, the key to them pulling off the upset in this game is that three-headed monster they have on their defensive front. Jadevian Clowney, J.J. Watt, and Whitney Merciless. Which one of those three is the most important for the Texans in this game based on the matchups in the scheme? Man, that's a tough one because all three of them have been so good for Houston for so long. I'm looking at J.J. Watts had trouble generating consistent pressure against New England. It's one of the few teams that he's actually struggled against. Um, He's going up against Marcus Cannon, who... Uh, uh, granted, Watt was the last game he played before he went out for the season was against the Patriots, and actually it was uh, not against Cannon last year. It was his backup, Adrian Waddle. But Watt was invisible. He obviously didn't seem to be his full strength. But even in the years before, I think he's only got one career sack in about six or seven games against the Patriots. So how they chip him... Dwayne Allen on that side, Marcus Cannon back to full strength after missing all of the preseason on that right side. If the Patriots can keep Watt from taking over the game with that pass rush, they should do just enough to be able to slow down uh, Clowney and Merciless and the rest of that aggressive Houston front. But it all starts with J.J. Watt. He's the most important and most disruptive player out there for Houston. He most certainly is when healthy, but the thing about Clowney, at least according to Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated, one of the most astute uh, X's and O's analysts and NFL film watchers, he thinks that Jadavian Clowney is more proficient rushing the passer from the interior than from the edge. So you should look for some packages that have Watt and Clowney on the inside. So that will be a very tough test for the Patriots' interior offensive line. Yes, if if there's one spot where the Patriots have historically always had trouble dealing with pressure, it's straight up the gut. Um, they're pretty solid with Shaq Mason, who just got that extension on the right side. Uh, Joe Tooney had some struggles at the end of last year at left guard. He's one to watch. And center David Andrews is very technically proficient but he lacks that size. He runs about 290, 295 pounds, which is kind of small for an interior offensive lineman. And he may be somebody that the Texans have a bullseye on to attack on Sunday. They most certainly will. And aside from the matchup between the Patriots offensive line and that ferocious Texans pass rush, what do you think the game deciding matchup will be outside of that? Well, I want to see how that Houston offensive line holds up. They've in, they've invested a lot. This is almost a complete turnover from last year. If you're looking at, they brought in uh, Zach Fulton from Kansas City, Senio Calametti from New Orleans. They've got their second year uh, left tackle, Julian Davenport, who only started three games last year, out at left tackle. And former Buffalo Bills, Sean Charles Henderson is expected to be starting on the right side with, with only center Nick Martin coming back, who was probably the best player on that offensive line last year. So that offensive line, there's a lot hinging on that because if they can't run the ball and they can't 
protect their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, it's going to be a long night, a long afternoon for Houston. It most certainly is. And that's one of my biggest concerns for the Texans this year. They might have the worst offensive line in the National Football League. And your prediction for this game, Hal? The Patriots always, always have a tough start to the season, but I think they do just enough in this one to edge out the Texans. I have the Patriots over Houston 27 to 21. I think it'll be a little bit more high scoring than that. I think Tom Brady has a good enough rhythm with Gronk and Chris Hogan and James White and Rex Burkhead already, and they'll be able to uh, exploit the holes in the Texans' defense, especially on the back end where the Texans struggled monumentally last year. Yes, they brought in the Honey Badger, and they have a promising uh, rookie safety adjusted read, but nobody can cover Gronk. I expect Gronk to have a very big game against this uh troublesome Texans secondary, and I also expect the running backs to feast against uh, the Texans linebacking core, who outside of uh, Zach Cunningham is not proficient covering uh, mismatch weapons. So I have the Patriots winning this game 31-24. to And now moving on to an AFC West showdown between the defending AFC West champion Kansas City Chiefs uh, they won the AFC West two years in a row and beginning the Pat Mahomes era in earnest, traveling to face the favorites to win the division this year in the Los Angeles Chargers at Stub Hub Stadium. And when I look at this game, I see two elite units going against one another. I see the Chiefs pass catchy core. Travis Kelsey, who might assert himself as the best mismatch weapon in the NFL this year. Tyree Kill. And now you add Sammy Watkins to that picture. Going against... The Chargers, who might have the deepest secondary in football, even without Jason Verrett. You got Casey Hayward, who's a stud. You got Trevor Williams, another underrated corner. Desmond King playing the slot. And you got my pick for defensive rookie of the year in Derwin James. Who do you think has the upper hand in that matchup? The Chiefs receiving core or the Chargers secondary? That is a tough one, David. Let me tell you, because there's just so much depth there for the Chargers. Um, Jaleel Day as well at safety. So many bodies they can throw, but it's hard to to bet against Andy Reid when he's had time to diagnose that defense and extra time to put in that game plan. We saw him do it against the Patriots last year in week one with that stunning offensive explosion and just so many weapons there. I can't wait to see what he does with Sammy Watkins. Is Andy Reid finally going to tap into all of that potential he has at wide receiver um, with Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback who can get outside the pocket, throw the ball 75 yards. We've seen him do it all. Can he have that consistency? But right now, I'd give a little bit of an edge to all of those weapons that they have in Kansas City because they have the diabolical Andy Reid drawing up that game plan behind them. Yes, and what individual matchup within this battle will decide the outcome of this game the most? I think for the Chargers, if, if they're going to win, they're going to have to get bodies on Travis Kelsey and slow him down. Uh, the pass rush with Kelsey coming out from from the edge, whether they split him out into the slot, whether he's tight against the alignment, if he gets off the line, that quick passing attack is going to negate that pass rush of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa coming from the edges. So whether it's Denzel Perryman, whether they try Jatavis Brown or Kyle Emanuel, one of those linebackers, the Chargers have to find a way to get a body on Travis Kelsey, disrupt his route, 
and keep him from hurting them in that middle intermediate field. Oh, I absolutely agree. And you forgot one important person in that equation. I think it's Derwin James. I think they asked Derwin James to put a body on Travis Kelsey several times in this game. Oh, that's a great point to get that rookie and, and all that athleticism that he brings to that defense. If if they can get him onto Kelsey and you're not going to shut him down, but at least slow him down and, you know, stop a couple of drives that way. That's going to be a huge plus for the Chargers. It most certainly is. And when you look at the Chiefs as a whole, uh, as great as their offense is on paper and can be in reality, their defense worries me. Yes, you have Eric Berry coming back from a 20 Achilles, but he might not play in this game. And the Chargers don't have a tight end that will make his job too complicated, even if he does play in this game. I am looking at two guys in this game that the Chiefs need on defense in order to pull this game out, which I think has shootout written all over it. One is Justin Houston, but Justin Houston is kind of getting a little long in the tooth. And Kendall Fuller, who they acquired in the Alex Smith trade. And Kendall Fuller is becoming one of the best slot corners in the NFL. And slot corner is an increasingly important position uh, in this league. So who do you think would be more important for the Chiefs in this game, Justin Houston or Kendall Fuller, who might see a lot of Keenan Allen? Yeah, if if Kendall Fuller is going to be on Keenan Allen, that is where they're going to have to to make an impact there because that Chargers, um, whether it's Keenan Allen in the slot, whether they move Travis Benjamin over there, for Philip Rivers not having Hunter Henry at tight end, and I know Antonio Gates is back, but you really can't expect too much from him, that matchup against Keenan Allen is going to be driving that offense for the Chargers in the passing game. So I'm going to say put more pressure on Kendall Fuller, Steve Nelson, Orlando Skandrick, whoever they've got out there. I uh, across from Keenan Allen, that's going to have to be the big matchup for the Chiefs to win. I agree 100%, Hal. And who do you think comes away victorious in this AFC West grudge match? You know, a, a lot of people are seeing this as the, the passing of the torch with the Chargers. They're without a doubt the preseason favorite coming into this season. I just hesitate a little bit. They've lost eight in a row to the Chiefs. The Chiefs kind of roughed them up. Uh, both in Los Angeles and at home last year as well. Um, I just have so such a hard time picking against I- Andy Reid when he's had time to put that game plan in place. So I'm going to see. The, I'm going to take the Chiefs. I think it'll be close. It'll be entertaining. It may even come down to that final drive. But I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And I have Kansas City 31 and the Chargers 28. That's a very good point, Hal. But In a shootout game, I believe the tie goes to the better defense, and the Chargers have the better defense hands down. And yes, it'll be close. Patrick Mahomes is going to show you why he is uh, expected by many to become a super elite quarterback in this league one day soon. But I think there will be some growing pains with him throughout the season and in this game against that Chargers secondary. It's going to be close, but the Chargers defense plays better than the Chiefs defense, and that's enough to make a difference in a tight 34-30 to game. And moving along to the Sunday night game between the Bears and Packers. And everybody thought it was fitting to open up the 99th season of the National Football League with its oldest rivalry. But how appropriate is it now? Because the Bears made the most blockbuster trade of the decade, you could say. They were the team that wound up acquiring Khalil Mack 
from the Oakland Raiders. Oh my goodness. I think it was well worth it for them, don't you? Two first-round picks is a lot to give up, but for a generational talent like Khalil Mack and, and the impact he can have on that defense with Leonard Floyd across the field from him on the other end rushing, I don't know how they couldn't have pulled the trigger. I think it was a great move and sends the right message to their fan base and the players in that locker room that they're tired of losing in Chicago. Oh, they most certainly are. And don't forget, the Bears were a top 10 total defense last season. And now you add Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith to a front seven that has Leonard Floyd rushing from the opposite edge, as you said, but also Akeem Hicks, an underrated player. Don't forget Akeem Hicks, terrorizing quarterbacks from the inside. How much more dangerous can this Bears defense be in 2018? And even though neither Khalil Mack nor Roquan Smith played a preseason snap, should Aaron Rodgers be shaking in his shoes for this game just a little bit? Just a little bit, definitely. I think he's going to be very thankful that he's getting the Bears here in week one instead of week three or four where that defense has had a little more time to gel. But Khalil Mack uh, added into that to the uh, NFC North. That gets everybody in that division, whether it's a Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers or Matt Stafford, they're all going to be paying a little more attention to that game circled on their calendar when they're playing Chicago now. Oh, they most certainly are. And don't forget, uh, the Bears defensive coordinator is Vic Fangio. And Vic Fangio, his previous job was the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. And he coordinated that defense in the early part of this decade. That included Justin Smith rushing from the inside, Alden Smith rushing from the edge, and two star linebackers in the middle, Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, who is a future Hall of Famer. And now when you look at the Bears, you got similar ingredients. You got Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, from rushing from the inside, Khalil Mack playing the Alden Smith role, uh, Akeem Hicks playing the Justin Smith role, and Leonard Floyd complementing that on the other edge, and you got Roquan Smith in the Patrick Willis role. I think this Bears defense could be a top five unit by season's end, don't you? They really could, and it's, you know, if they continue to get the pressure, take some of that pressure off of the that secondary in Chicago, you know, that's the only big question mark I have right now with them is, is with, you know, uh, is Kyle Fuller, Marcus Cooper, Prince Amukamura, are they going to hold up? Are they going to be able to slow down some of these weapons that they see from these high-powered passing attacks in the division, Minnesota, Detroit, and Green Bay, who can all air it out? Almost certainly. Corner is the most concerning position I have on the Bears, but their two safeties, Adrian Amos and Eddie Jackson, that's quite an underrated tandem. I think Adrian Amos is one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. He's been fantastic. I mean, I, I thought it was a coming-out season last year for Amos. Oh, it most certainly was, but the Bears probably won't have the money to re-sign him to an extension, and that's why they're thankful that they got Eddie Jackson in the draft last year. And going to the other side of the ball for the Bears. I mean, Jackson, especially for a fourth-round pick, to get that kind of production out of him as a rookie alone, they've got to be looking at him this year and saying, you know, we're in the driver's seat at least at that position, and if these cornerbacks can hold up, that's where you're going to see that top-five defense out of the Bears. Most definitely. And now going to the other side of the ball for the Bears, and if you are Matt Nagy, who would you make as the focal point for the offense in this game? 
Trubisky in the passing game, especially Trey Burton and Anthony Miller and Taylor Gabriel over the middle, or Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen in the running game? That's a tough one because, you know, Jordan Howard has been so solid as that lead back. And I really felt like Tariq Cohen was was underused last year. I mean, if you if you look at New Orleans and what they did and got out of their running backs with that offense and that passing attack, that has to be the blueprint for the Bears to be able to attack with those multiple backs and still be able to attack down the field. So with the Bears, you've got a couple of question marks. You're not sure what you've got out of Allen Robinson coming back from injury. Anthony Miller has looked great, but again, he is still a rookie. Um, Taylor Gabriel had a really rough season in Atlanta last year. I'm not sure I'm going to put a lot of faith in him this year. And of course, Kevin White, you never know what you've got there either. So if I'm the Bears, let's focus on that running attack with Howard and a lot of Tariq Cohen. Absolutely. And keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. That is the best recipe to stop Aaron Rodgers. The longer you keep him off the field, the better your odds are of beating Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. But speaking of that Packers offense, they added another quality weapon in the offseason, and that is Jimmy Graham. They got rid of Jordy Nelson because uh, they think he's gotten a little long in the tooth, and I think that's understandable. But Jimmy Graham, uh, nobody can replace Jordy Nelson, but I think he brings something to this Packers offense that's been missing for quite some time. And in what ways can Jimmy Graham make this Packers offense even more dangerous? I think with Graham, you've got the obvious in the red zone where he thrived, especially the last two seasons. He really added that component to his game, being a weapon inside the 10-yard line. And for with Graham as well, having that tight end to work the middle of the field, to work out to the, to the hash marks as well, that takes some of that pressure off of that Green Bay offensive line as well to give Aaron Rodgers a little more of that quick passing game over the middle that with Randall Cobb seemingly losing a half step over the last year or two, they need that other weapon coming from the tight end position, and that could be Jimmy Graham in 2018. I think it will be Jimmy Graham in 2018. And when you look at the Packers on defense, they have a new defensive coordinator in Mike Pettin bringing in a new scheme, a refreshing departure from the last several years of Dom Capers in the minds of Packers fans everywhere. But when you look at this game in particular, I think there are three potential difference makers in this game based on how they match up with the Chicago Bears. Mike Daniels, Clay Matthews, and the rookie from Louisville, Jair Alexander. Who do you think is the most important player for the Packers on Sunday night against the Bears out of those three? Well, I'm going to go with Mike Daniels. He's just such a presence in the middle of that defense. And if he can get in there against Cody Whitehair and Kyle Long and be able to penetrate into the backfield, blow up that running attack of the Bears, get some pressure right up in the gut, no quarterback likes pressure up the middle in their face, and especially young quarterbacks, and that's when they start making mistakes. So if you can get Mike Daniels in gear, in the backfield, and full-on pressure, that's when the Bears are going to start uh, getting into those second and third and longs, and that's where Mitch Trubisky is going to start making mistakes. Oh, absolutely. And Trubisky is a quarterback that is most efficient attacking the field between the hashes. And with Mike Daniels in his face, that'll be infinitely more difficult to do. Uh, who do you think ends up winning this game at Lambeau Field on Sunday night? 
I, I think it's going to be a great game. I love the improvements to the Chicago offense, but I think Aaron Rodgers is back, and you're going to see him stretch the field horizontally and vertically and pull out a pretty, pretty easy 27-13 to 13 win. I have a similar version of that, although I do think the Bears' defense plays better for their debut than most are anticipating. Not uh, quite where they should be, but they play better than what we expect on Sunday. But that won't be enough to derail Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers because it all comes down to the quarterback. And at the end of the day, the Packers have the best quarterback in the NFL right now, in my opinion, in Aaron Rodgers. No offense to Tom Brady, who's the best of all time. But in terms of the most talented quarterback and the quarterback squarely in his prime, it's Aaron Rodgers best quarterback in the league. He is enough to make the Packers a better team than the Bears still. And he and the Packers pull off a 24-16 to victory. Mm-hmm. And before we continue, we want to remind you that Sports Crunch with Decrom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics, and follow them on Twitter at RealTC Athletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. And now we'd like to debut a new portion of our weekly NFL previews, and it is Set My Lineup, where we help you, the fantasy owner, set your lineup to give you the best chance of winning your fantasy football matchup this week. And we start with my good friend Nate Denny on Twitter, at Nate underscore Denny, and this is a PPR league. And let's set his lineup for him. He needs to start one quarterback, and his quarterbacks are Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo, who play each other on Sunday. But I think he should go with Kirk Cousins because he's at home. You know I love Jimmy Garoppolo, but I'm thinking Kirk Cousins in this matchup again. I don't want anybody going up against the Vikings defense on my offense on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. Completely agree. And he needs to start two running backs, and he's got a pretty good running back core with Todd Gurley, Derrick Henry, Jay Ajayi, and Duke Johnson. Who do you plug into those two running back slots? Definitely Gurley with the other, and would you go Henry or Ajayi in the other running back slot? That is a toss-up right there, I'll tell you. Um, The more I think about it, the more I'm going to say Henry's going up against the Dolphins, there's no uh, Sue in the middle of that defense anymore. I might just lean over Henry over that tough Atlanta uh, defense for a Jai you will be facing on Thursday night. I agree. Kirk Cousins and Todd Gurley and Derrick Henry should be inserted into your lineup there, Nate. And he needs to start three wide receivers. And he has Stephon Diggs, Mike Evans, Emmanuel Sanders, Sammy Watkins, Tyler Lockett, and Anthony Miller. You definitely have to start Stephon Diggs if you're starting Kirk Cousins. That's for sure. Um, Once you get beyond that, now you're getting into Mike Evans seems like a must start, but with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you've got to weigh that. Sammy Watkins, we don't really know what he's going to do in his first game back. Emmanuel Sanders, again, new quarterback there in Denver. It's a very, very tough choice, but I would go with Evans and Sanders, the sure thing in week one. Yes, and especially since 
Emmanuel Sanders is apparently Case Keenum's favorite target in Denver, and their rapport was on display in the preseason, and you should expect it to carry over against the decimated uh, Legion of Boom. So Diggs, Evans, and Sanders will be your wide receivers there, Nate. He only has one tight end in Zach Ertz, and now you have the flex. And you got three interesting options for your flex here. Uh, we're going to take uh, Tyler Lockett and Anthony Miller out because we want to wait for their roles to define as the season goes on. But for the flex, you have Jay Ajayi, Sammy Watkins, or Duke Johnson, who is a very good PPR player. Yeah, that is tough right there. Um, again, Watkins, not sure of his role. Um, Johnson, I love him catching the ball, but are there enough targets going to be for him in Cleveland um, with Tyrod Taylor there behind center and that uh, Cleveland trying to set the aggressive run early in the season here. Um, I may just lean on the Jai in that spot, uh, even though it's a tough matchup against the Falcons. Yep, so Jay Ajayi at Flex it is, and that sets your lineup, Nate. And now moving on to a mutual friend of ours, Andrew Weedman, our former colleague from the now-defunct FirstStopFantasy.com. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at the underscore Weedmanator. And in this PPR league that Andrew is in, he only has one quarterback on his team, and that is Kirk Cousins. So that position is locked. And he's got six running backs to choose from, and that doesn't count Mark Ingram because he's suspended. You got Kenyon Drake, Carrion Johnson, Deion Lewis, Rashad Penny, Alfred Morris, or Darren Sproles. Which of those two backs would you insert into those two running back slots? Well, I, I, I would have never thought this two months ago, but I think Alfred Morris is carrying the load in San Francisco. He's going to be a, a must start here. Um, Dion Lewis, you know, those, those snaps, are, they're going to get a lot of uh, sitting time with Derrick Henry in front of him as well. I'm not sold on Penny having a big role or even Sproles right now. So it really looks like I would... Uh, be choosing between Carrion Johnson and Kenyon Drake, and and Drake has looked so good for Miami. Um, Tennessee is not an easy team to run against, but I think I would go with Drake and Morris. Uh, Drake and Morris, I think, makes a a lot of sense uh, because Alfred Morris. But Morris is against that Vikings defense, and that defensive line with Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin on the edges, and Linval Joseph, and now you had Sheldon Richardson at defensive tackle. Are you kidding me? That might be a little too tough for me. I would go Deion Lewis and Kenyon Drake because you could expect to see a lot of Deion Lewis uh, in that game against the Dolphins on Sunday. As a matter of fact, with the Titans wide receiving core banged up, I wouldn't be surprised if Deion Lewis is Marcus Mariota's second most targeted weapon behind only Delaney Walker. So I would go Kenyon Drake and Deion Lewis. Very, very interesting. Like I said, it was a toss-up, and and I really like Carrion Johnson as well. I'm just so unsure of his role, and that's what makes week one so exciting in fantasy is that you have it in your head that this guy is ready to explode, and then you see the real game plans out there, and sometimes there's a change there for sure. Oh, absolutely. Decision, decisions for Andrew at running back, but this is self-explanatory at wide receiver. His top two wide receivers are DeAndre Hopkins and Odell Beckham Jr. Gotta lock those two into those two wide receiver slots. Self-explanatory. Oh my god, that's... How did he get... Oh, that's just great. <laughs> uh, yeah, he must have began his draft with those two. Those must have been his first two picks. 
Oh, that's what a great two picks. I wish my team started out like that. Jeez. Uh, Especially in the PPR league. It makes a lot of sense where both of those guys are going to get a boatload of targets and a boatload of receptions week in and week out. And he only has one tight end, Kyle Rudolph. And now we got to decide on the flex. And I think the flex here uh, is between Golden Tate, Devin Funchess, Nelson Aguilar, Deion Lewis or Alfred Morris. You got five to choose from in the flex now. Uh, Golden Tate, I think, would make the most sense because he uh, is a PPR monster and he's going against the Jets defense that hasn't proven in the secondary, but not in, in the slot where Buster Screen is still maddingly inconsistent. So uh, I think Golden Tate would be the best start there unless you think Deion Lewis or Alfred Morris would be better. No, no, definitely Tate in that spot. I agree with you on that, David. He is a PPR monster. And when I'm looking at my fantasy matchups, I want that go-to player in that lineup. And I think that's what Golden Tate is going to be in Detroit. He most certainly is, as he has been these past several years. And last but not least, we conclude our inaugural set my lineup segment with my team because we couldn't uh, get a third volunteer for this week. And once again, folks, if you want to have your fantasy team featured on the Set My Lineup portion of our program each week, please tweet me and Hal at SportsCrunch and at HalBent01 because Hal and I are eager to help you dominate your competition every single week on your way to a fantasy football league championship. And now to, to my team. I just drafted this team last night. This is a standard uh, scoring league Um For the record, I don't play in any PPR leagues at the moment. I just do standard leagues. And for quarterback, uh, I have Jimmy Garoppolo as my backup and Drew Brees. And I think I'm going to start Brees because Brees at home against Tampa compared to Garoppolo on the road against Minnesota. No brainer. Yeah, slam dunk right there, David. No doubt. Yeah, so lock in Drew Brees there. And my running backs, uh, I got Leonard Fournette, I got Christian McCaffrey, Jamal Williams, Rex Burkhead, Latavius Murray. Definitely put Fournette in one, and I think you put McCaffrey in two. Oh, definitely. McCaffrey, uh, even in the non-PPR league, he's going to get the carries. He's going to get the receiving yards. I I think he's a a breakout player here in year two. Oh, absolutely. He's going to be a borderline workhorse this year for the Carolina Panthers. And this is where it gets interesting at wide receiver. Uh, Stephon Diggs is locked into one of the spots because he is clearly Kirk Cousins' go-to guy in that Vikings passing game, going against a very bad 49er secondary, even with Richard Sherman. And then you got Doug Baldwin and his bulky knee and Juju Smith-Schuster. Which one of those two would you put in the second wide receiver slot? Ooh, that is tough because if Baldwin is slowed down at all um, for the Seahawks and going against that um even without a keep to leave that tough bronco secondary uh it's kind of hard to to pick baldwin in that spot you know juju smith schuster is going to get the targets uh in pittsburgh another player that seems had a great season last year and seems poised to build upon that with a, a huge breakout season here so i would be looking at smith schuster right now as that spot for you david I actually agree with you. I want to wait and see how Doug Baldwin's knee looks, and especially uh, the Seahawks aren't known for starting out the season quite fast. 
Yes, exactly. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a different team than it was last year on both sides of the ball. And uh, go with the short thing with Juju. Yeah, Juju and Diggs it is for my wide receivers. And in flex, you got Doug Baldwin, Jamal Williams, Rex Burkhead, Latavius Murray, Cooper Cup, or Kenny Galladay. I think I'm going to eliminate Cup and Galladay. And as much as Murray's going to see the ball early in the season, I'm going to eliminate him. And let's make it between Baldwin, Jamal Williams, or Rex Burkhead. Who would you put in there? That is a tough one there. Um, I can see Williams getting a lot of attention. This uh, Baldwin, if he's healthy. Um, but Rex Burkhead, again, there, there's an injury um, concern there as well as he hasn't played much in the preseason. But going into that game, if, if he's healthy, I think Rex Burkhead, especially early on until Sony Michelle's back up to full strength, which may not be till week two or three, uh, Burkhead is going to be that key in the New England backfield, piling up a lot of yards on the ground and in the passing game. Yes, and don't you think there's a good chance he'll be the goal line back? Oh, definitely. I, You know, it, it could be Hill, but you never know with Bill Belichick. And for the Patriots inside that 20-yard line, you're going to see all those running backs as well, whether it's through the air or through the ground. Uh, Burkhead got a lot of attention in the red zone in the passing game last year while he was on the field. Oh, he most certainly did. And with Julian Edelman out, I think Burkhead could be the third most important weapon to Brady and the passing attack behind only Rob Gronkowski and Chris Hogan. He and James White, but you get the picture. So we'll put Rex Burkhead in at flex for now. Tough decision. And my tight end, I got Trey Burton, who is shaping up to be Mitchell Trubisky's top target in Chicago, or George Kittle going against that Vikings defense with Jimmy Garoppolo. So Kittle might prove to be a safety blanket for Garoppolo, and not just in that game, but all season long. I'm leaning towards Trey Burton, though. What about you? That's a, a tough one. You know, I you 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 figure Burton's going to be a featured aspect of that defense in Chicago. I still have question marks about him as a legitimate top number one tight end. I might lean towards Kittle, but I can certainly understand if you're going with Burton and all of that potential that he has to be uh, eight reception, 75-yard, and a touchdown type of guy in that Chicago offense. And that concludes our inaugural Set Your Lineup portion of our weekly NFL preview series. And now it's time to welcome back our rapid-fire segment. And in this game, we will rattle off the rest of the Week 1 NFL matchups and give our predictions within a five-minute time frame, starting with the 49ers traveling to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. And while Jimmy Garoppolo looked very promising in his starts with the 49ers last year, plus his two starts in New England when Tom Brady was serving that suspension, and he is undefeated heading into Sunday, but I think he's in for a wake-up call and a welcome back to reality against that Vikings defense. I agree with you there, David. I don't think the 49ers are quite ready for primetime, and especially on the defensive side of the football as well. I have the Vikings winning it pretty easy, 27-13. to 13. I have the Vikings winning 31-17 to 17 myself. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ryan Fitzpatrick going to the Superdome to play the Saints. This is my lock of the week. Saints, hands down, in a blowout fashion, 38-13. to 13. I'm pretty close to that. Maybe a little bit tighter, but 31 to 20 Saints over the Bucks. 
Yes, but I don't think the game's going to be as close as that score is. Yeah, garbage touchdown at the end. <laughs> yeah, let's just say that. A Mike Evans garbage touchdown for you, Nate, on your fantasy team. And an intriguing matchup between the Jaguars and Giants. Jalen Ramsey going against Odell Beckham Jr. I still don't trust Eli Manning, and I think that Jaguars defensive line is going to overwhelm that suspect Giants offensive line all game long. Yeah, this is really one of the weaker quarterback matchups that uh, I think uh, in the NFL with Eli Manning having lost a step, and I just can't trust Blake Bortles. I've got the Jaguars winning, but it's low scoring, it's ugly, it's full of turnovers, and the Jaguars pull it out 13-12. to I have the Jaguars winning 19-16, to as a matter of fact. The Buffalo Bills, the no-offense Buffalo Bills, and Nathan Peterman traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Uh, Got to go with that Ravens defense at home. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that Ravens defense should be shutting down Peterman and the Bills. I think it's uh, Joe Flacco has looked better than he did last year now that he's 100% healthy and he's got a fire lit underneath him with Lamar Jackson behind him. I have the Ravens in a cakewalk, 31-13. to 13. Um, I have the Ravens winning a lower-scoring game, but in a cakewalk, too, in 20-7. to 7. The Tennessee Titans trailing Miami to take on the Dolphins. The Dolphins are one of my top candidates to finish with the worst record in the NFL this year. Yes, the Titans are a little bit banged up. They'll be without their promising rookie pass rusher, Harold Landry, and there's going to be growing pains for Marcus Mariota in that new offense. But I think the Titans um, eke out an ugly victory by a score of 13-9. to 9. Pretty close to what I have as well. I, I just don't trust Ryan Tannehill, especially at not having thrown a pass in a regular season game for 600 days or so and counting. I've got the Titans in an ugly one, 19-17 in the heat in South Beach. Oh, and we are less than two minutes left. The Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns and Harnocks. And Le'Veon Bell or no Le'Veon Bell, I don't trust Greg Williams in this Browns defense to stop Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Yes, the defense will look better, especially with Miles Garrett. And Tyrod Taylor won't turn the ball over, but I still think the Steelers win it pretty handily, 24-13. A little bit higher scoring on my end, but an easy Steelers win, 33-24. Bengals against the Colts in Indianapolis in the return of Andrew Luck. While Andrew Luck being on the field will be a welcome sight to see, uh, the Bengals are hands down the better team. They're balanced on both sides of the ball, and the Colts' defense is terrible. I think the Bengals win that game. I've actually got the Colts winning this game, 24-16. to 16. I think Andrew Luck is going to be a lot more comfortable in the pocket uh, than we expect, and a couple of uh, big plays at home could make the difference against the Bengals' defense, which has been slowly eroding, especially in the secondary. We shall find out about that. Uh, the Cowboys and their banged-up offensive line, minus Travis Frederick, Taking on Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers under new offensive coordinator Norv Turner. This is the toughest game to predict for me this week. These are two evenly matched football teams with uh, with with injury problems on the offensive line. But the tie goes to the home team. I have the Panthers winning a close one. Yeah, I have this one as a tough game to call as well. I've got it going to overtime. Flip a coin to see who wins it. I have the Cowboys pulling it out 20-17. to 17. That's a fair prediction and a rematch of Super Bowl 48 between the Seahawks and Broncos, two teams that have gone downhill since then, two teams in the middle of massive roster overhauls. 
I this is another tough game to pick, but I think I'm going to go with the tie to the better quarterback, and that's Russell Wilson. Uh, I've got it as a close game as well. However, I'm going to give the edge to the home team with the Broncos pulling out an ugly one, 16 to 13. Oh, 16 to 13. That that's a fair prediction. Redskins and Cardinals, another ho hum matchup. I'm going to give it to the home team, the Cardinals. Uh, another close game. Um, I think Alex Smith will do just enough to win this game for the Redskins. I've got it 26-24 Washington. Oh, fascinating. And on Monday Night Football, the Sam Darnold era debuts with the Jets as they travel to Motown to take on Matthew Stafford and the Lions. This is my upset special of the week. I am a believer in the Jets' long-term promise. I'm a believer in Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield were my favorite quarterbacks in this draft class because of the intangibles they have to succeed in this league. And Sam Darnold shows you why on Monday night as he leads the Jets to an upset victory over the Detroit Lions, 24-21. to Ooh, I like that call. I'm a big Sam Darnold fan as well, but I see Matt Patricia, the new head coach of the Lions, walking off in victory in his first game. Lions 24, Jets 19. Yep, and last but not least, the Los Angeles Rams traveled to the Khalil Mackless Oakland Raiders and that dysfunctional, disgraceful franchise, dare I say. Uh, I was having a feeling earlier in the offseason that the Raiders would win this game, but now without Khalil Mack, no frickin' way. I think the Rams win a pretty easy one by a score of 23-10. to 10. I have an easy one for the Rams as well. I think there's a lot of growing pains in the John Gruden era and may take a few of those years on his 10-year contract to get that uh, growing pains out of the way. Rams 34, Raiders 13. Yep, and those conclude our week one game-by-game predictions that we exceeded the five-minute limit, Hal, and uh, the, the alarm went off uh, minutes ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, so looks like uh, we might have to uh, extend the threshold to seven minutes there, I say, next time. But uh, you got the picture. Oh, uh, show planning on the air. What, what, what do you have to do? <laughs> <laughs> you just got to get me a muzzle here and shut me up once in a while, David. That's all. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But moving along to our week one bold predictions. And each week we're going to make a bold prediction of what happens. And here is my prediction. In the Seahawks-Broncos game, it is unlikely K.J. Wright, arguably the second most important player on the Seahawks defense behind Bobby Wagner, will not play as he just underwent a knee scope. And that likely means that Shaquem Griffin, the most inspirational story in the 2018 NFL draft, if not all the NFL drafts I've ever witnessed, will start in his place. And I think Shaquem Griffin goes on to make 10-plus tackles, including four solo tackles, and he forces a fumble, and he wins Defensive Player of the Week honors. Ooh, I like that prediction. I'm going to go to Monday night with mine and that intriguing Jets versus Lions game. Um, I know you've got your upset special there with Sam Darnold, but I'm going to say he's going to start his NFL career off with a very tough matchup. And the person he's going to be seeing in his nightmares is Glover Quinn, probably the most underrated player in the NFL and I'm going to see Quinn picking off Darnold two times to be the defensive player of the week uh, for the Detroit Lions. I said bold prediction, Sal. That's not quite bold. Sam Darnold uh, was known as a turnover machine by some draft analysts this year, so asking him to throw two interceptions over Quinn, that's not quite bold at all, man. Come on! 
oh, they're ready to put them in the Hall of Fame already. <laughs> in, in New York, at least, you know? Yeah, well, we'll count it as a bold prediction anyway. Uh, Glover Quinn with two picks off Sam Darnold and Shaquem Griffin winning Defensive Player of the Week. And last but not least, we are going to conclude our weekly segment with some challenge flags. And in this segment, we will challenge a certain player, a certain team, or anybody in the league to do a certain thing. And my challenge flag goes to Eli Manning. Eli Manning. Pat Shermer, Dave Gettleman, the new Jets brass, they have placed faith in you that you can play efficient football for several more seasons, and they've surrounded you with weapons galore. You got one of the best wide receivers in football in Odell Beckham. You got a rising star at tight end in Evan Agram, and you got the best skill position player, non-quarterback in this 2018 draft class in Saquon Barkley. You have weapons. Now it is your job to please reward the faith the Giants front office and coaching staff have placed in you against that tough Jacksonville Jaguars defense this Sunday. Find a way to do it, Eli. Prove us all wrong. All right. My challenge flag is going to the Honey Badger. The biggest matchup of the week, the Honey Badger against Gronk. Tyron Matthew is going to have to prove something. He was let go by Arizona. He's got the fire under him. He's never faced Tom Brady. He's never had the matchup with Rob Gronkowski. My challenge flag is going right to Tyron Matthew. Can he step up? Can he get in Rob Gronkowski's face, in his catch radius, and disrupt that New England passing attack here in week one? That's going to be his challenge. Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, you can find his work at FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan, he also writes for MusketFire.com. And you can also catch his work at BostonSportPage.com. Hal, it's a pleasure talking football with you every week. And I hope you enjoy week one, my man. We'll see you next week. Definitely, David. Thank you, as always, for having me on. It's always my pleasure here to be tested by your encyclopedic knowledge of the NFL. And I'm looking forward to a great 2018 season. The pleasure is mine being challenged by you every week, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week for week two, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like my man, Hal Bent. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and enjoy opening week of the 2018 NFL season, everybody. Take care. Let's go.